John 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. Um, If you'll stay there, but then also another of the Apostle John's writings, the book of Revelation, if you will hold the last, I think it's probably still the last page in your Bible too, Revelation 21. We'll turn there kind of toward the end of our time this morning, but John 1. If you think about the, the season we're in, the, the Christmas season, um, it, it's full of so many things. And in all of us across this room, we have so many different um, traditions that we do, um, from Advent calendars to the, the Christmas lights going up. I mean, how long has the Christmas lights been up now? I mean, for some of us, they were already going up, right, the end of November. And so, how many of you guys, if you have a fresh tree, your tree is starting to start fading, right? And you're like, I'm putting water in it, all right? And it, the water's not going down. That's kind of my mind and thinking. And it's starting to, like, get brittle and stuff. That's, that's where mine at. And then I start thinking, well, I put it up in November, right? Uh, and so... The end of November, some of us may be uh, later than that, but, but if you think back for the last month or so, all the traditions, the Christmas parties, the things we've, we've gone to, the gifts that have been bought, the shopping trips, um, all these things, and the songs we sing, right? I mean, some Christ- uh, stations were playing Christmas music well before, right? Thanksgiving, okay, which is a curse. I mean, that's just horrible. I've, anyway, um, so, and I love Christmas music, but I mean, all that stuff. And many times hidden in all of that, and, and some of that good stuff, and some of that stuff, man, I enjoy, but often hidden in all of that is what Christmas really is about. And we know that, we've heard that, we get that. But the meaning of Christmas um, is often lost, is often hidden. And this morning what I would love to do is in uh, line with where we've been going through the Advent season is to remember that Christmas is about God coming to earth as a human, which is miraculous, is amazing. And today we look at how he did that both in the past and how he will in the future as well. Uh, We've seen through the Advent seasons God's desire to be with us. That's been our theme God with us. From the beginning, that was his desire in the book of Genesis, as we saw, and how he has been with his people throughout time, the Israelites, his chosen people uh, who were chosen to carry his name and his word and his way to the nations. Um, He took them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. We saw his presence with them, his power with them, how he was with David and bringing down Goliath, how he, through the uh, with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace last week, God was with them. And at all points and leads to God being with mankind in the flesh, dwelling among mankind here on this earth. That is his ultimate goal, as to go back to what he intended from the beginning. And so today we look at how God has done that in his son, Jesus, who has come and who is coming Again, that's what Advent, that's what the season remembers. And so today, what I would love to do is just walk you through John 1, a familiar text maybe to many of us this morning, but what I would love to do is walk through this and see who Jesus is, and then see how he has come, but then also to look, as we turn to Revelation, that he is coming again. 
And some great truths, some, some great doctrines, some great things that, that are pulled from this text that um, causes us, ultimately, John's goal is to believe. That's the response he wants from us, to believe, so that we may have eternal life. And so this morning, John 1, uh, chapter uh, 1, uh, that's what I just said, all right, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, who Jesus is. It says here, in the beginning, very familiar to uh, similar to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, a good question here is this. Who or what is the Word? The Word. The Word is a, a deep, uh, meaningful word. Uh, the word logos, which means that which is spoken. Um, it's a statement, a, a, a speech. And so in the Jewish translation of the Old Testament, in the Aramaic, this term was used for God, for God. And so literally, the, the word literally translates God. And so John here has the Old Testament in mind when he's writing this. And here the word means the expression or the manifestation of God. And so John is referring to literally who we're going to see in just a second down in verse 14 is, is Jesus Christ. And so, so John says the word was God. The word was God. And we're seeing verse 14 specifically Jesus Christ in this text. And so the Greek construction emphasizes that the word was of the very quality of God while still retaining his personal distinction from the Father. So John opens his writing doing this, affirming the deity of Jesus Christ, the word, the logos. And so what does John say about Jesus? What does he say about him as the word, as God? Because that's his goal here, as he begins right out of the gates, out of his writing. And so a few things he says in verse 1. The first thing he says is that Jesus, the word, God, was in the beginning. So what that means is that he's going to show us that Jesus is eternal. That he's eternal. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it tells us, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. A prophecy that the prophet was speaking of, referring to the coming of Jesus Christ, a, a ruler that would come from the days of eternity, speaking of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' nature is without beginning or end. It's free from all succession of time, and he contains in himself literally the cause of time. So he is eternal. He has always been and always will be. And so Jesus is the word. He is eternal. Not only that, he was with God. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it tells us that. And so what does that mean? think a couple things here. First is that he was with the Father in heaven. We're going to see that he is sent from the Father down to earth, that he is also glorified with the Father. And so how do we see that? Well, a few verses to, to help us out uh, understand that Jesus wasn't just with the Father in proximity's sake, even though he was, but also on an intimate personal relationship uh, that him and the Father shared together. It was intimately. Uh, it was personal, and we'll see that. Uh, John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, 
He who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. And he who comes from heaven is above all. And that's who he was speaking of. He was speaking of Jesus himself, that he is from above. Jesus said this when he was here on earth. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, he says, but to do the will of him who sent me. The Father sent Jesus And the Apostle Paul testifies that Jesus has come from heaven. The first man, Adam, is from the earth, and he's earthly. The second man, Jesus, is from where? He's from heaven, where the Father dwells. And so Jesus was with God in heaven. Before he invades time and space on earth, he was with the Father in heaven. He also shares an eternal and active fellowship, that relationship, that personal, intimate relationship with the Father. He shares in that. And we see that in John 17. You remember Jesus when he was here on earth? He, he would go away often, and he would pray to the Father. In John 17, 21, we get a glimpse of one of Jesus' prayers. And it says as he's praying to the Father, he says this, that they, the church, in verse 21, may all be one, that they would be united, that they would have unity even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And so Jesus was talking about his relationship with the Father, this closeness, this nearness, this personal relationship that they shared together. And he so longs it for us as well. And Jesus also said this in his prayer in verse five. He says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so Jesus asked the Father for the glory that he had before invading time and space and to share it once again with the Father. And so what do we see here? That Jesus was with the Father. Before he came to earth, he was with the Father in all glory, glorified with the Father, and he longs to share again in that glory like he did before one day, and he will. And so what we see about Jesus is the word is he was with God, glorified with God and with the Father in heaven before he comes to earth. The third thing we see about Jesus here as the word is that he literally is God. He is divine. And that's what John tells us in verse 1. It says that the word was God. The word was God. Paul tells us this. For in him, speaking of Jesus in Colossians 2, 9, All the fullness of deity, every bit of it, dwells in bodily form. The fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. Every attribute related to deity, whatever is ascribed to the Father, to the Spirit, also attributed to Jesus Christ as well. And so we see it in what? We see it in Jesus' knowledge while he is here on earth. We see it in his power, specifically to forgive sins, to heal. We've seen a lot of that as we've walked through Luke This year, we see it spiritually, uh, we see it physically, uh, we see it in his power over nature as well, uh, as he calms the sea. Um, We see Jesus' power over nature. Uh, We see it in his power to give eternal life. We see it in his power to save and also to keep those who believe in him. We see it in his power to transform our bodies one day. We see that. And so we see the power, the divinity of Jesus, that he was God. And the fourth thing that John says there is not only is the word God, but he is creator. He's creator. And so at verse 3 of chapter 1, listen to what John says. He says, all things came into being through 
Him. Who is Him? It's the Word. It's Jesus. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All of creation stems from the Word. Stems from Jesus' creative activity. Nothing has its being without Him alone. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, the word, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isn't it amazing, during this time of year, as we reflect on that night, the night when Jesus is born, um, we know the story. We're going to look at more tomorrow night. But the gospel writers speak of, of Joseph, his earthly dad, Mary, his earthly mother. And it is amazing to think that, that Jesus created both of them, that he created his own earthly parents. Uh, during pregnancy, It's amazing to think that Mary carried the Creator, carried the Word, Jesus Christ. When they held Jesus after his birth, it's amazing to think that they were holding their Creator. Amazing, amazing. And that's who Jesus is. He's created all things, and nothing has come into being that wasn't brought into being by him. He created everything. He's the creator. Not only that, the fifth thing we see is that Jesus, it says here that he is life and the light. As the word, he is life and the light. Look at verse five, or excuse me, verse four. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Life and light are qualities of the word that we see here, of Jesus himself. And so we move from the creation which Jesus created to the most significant of all creation, life that Jesus alone gives. He is the source of all life. And so what does life refer to? In a broad sense, it refers to the physical, the temporal life that Jesus has imparted to the created world through his involvement as the agent of creation, which we just saw in verse 3, but especially to spiritual and eternal life, which is imparted as a gift through belief in Jesus, something that he gives. Um, Jesus spoke of this as well in John 14, 6. You remember what Jesus says? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, that no man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. He gives life. He gives life. He is the one who gives not only the breath that we breathe as creator, but he gives to us and imparts to us eternal life, salvation. So he is life, and not only that, he is light. He is the light of men. One of the first indications of the Christmas season is the appearance of lights. Uh, I remember my oldest daughter and I, Grace, we were driving home from uh, a volleyball practice uh, sometime in November. Uh, and I remember we were coming uh, up 423, kind of from the, the Frisco Little Elmway, coming back into the colony. And, um, and I remember turning to her and saying, Grace, look. I mean, this was like early November. 
I was like, Grace, look, over the horizon, there's Christmas lights already. And they are just coming up. And, 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 of course, it starts multiplies, and you get closer to the season. And so that's the first indication oftentimes of the season is the, the tree lights goes up, the, the candles in the window of some people, uh, lights on the houses. And it, it brings light into the dark. And if you think about it, when it is dark, there's not much you can do. How much you can do at all, uh, you can't see. That's what darkness ultimately does. And so it's important at this Christmas time that we realize that the world is dark. That the world is dark. It's a dark place. In fact, um, in Isaiah 9-2, speaking of Jesus' birth, that which is to come, the prophet Isaiah said this. He says, the people who walk in darkness, but not just any darkness, deep darkness, will see a great light. Hundreds of years before Christ would come, Isaiah says this, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And so when you think of darkness, it refers to both evil, it refers to suffering, it refers to ignorance. Um, Think about Jesus and what it says about him right here in chapter 1. Look at John in verse 9. It says, there was the true light, John the Baptist says he came testifying this which came into the world john says he was in the world and the world was made known through him and the world did not know him he came to his own and those were who were his own did not receive him so do you hear that there the light came into the world but the world did not know him they did not know the light he came to his very own his own people, even the Jews, and they did not receive him. That's the darkness that was in the world. And so you see ignorance. You see this blindness. And so happening at Jesus' birth, that deep darkness, you think about it, violence was present, injustice, abuse of power. We see that with the power in his time. Um, Homelessness. You see refugees fleeing oppression during Jesus' time. You see families ripped apart. You see bottomless grief. And often, when you think about our context, and even today, it sounds exactly like our time. Darkness, deep darkness. And that's what Jesus came into. The other way our world is in the dark is that no one knows enough to cure the evil. No one knows enough uh, to cure the suffering in our world. Many look to human resources to fix the world, thinking we can overcome our problems, even ourselves, seeking to end the darkness with intellect or maybe even innovation. Some believe we have the light within us. Some will say that. Some say we are the ones who can dispel the darkness of the world if we just would work together. And we do this, and the darkness only gets worse. The Bible does not agree with the world's answer to darkness. The world's darkness, um, it does agree that the world is in darkness and can do nothing about it on their own. But there is hope. See, the world can't do anything about the darkness, the deep darkness. But the light, Jesus, the word, gives us hope. 
because the light has dawned upon the world. Not in it, but it comes from outside of it. That's what Jesus was speaking of in John 8, 12, when he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of light. You see, the answer is not within us, right? The answer is not simply just saying, hey, world, uh, let's, let's come together and try to fix this by innovation or intellect or whatever it may be, but it is something outside of this world. It is the word. It is the light of men that who has come. And so Jesus has come as the light revealing, mainly through biblical, or especially through biblical truth. It also refers to as the light uh, speaking of, of holiness and purity. And he has come as the one who is holy, who is pure. And so Jesus is giving light, revealing truth to mankind. And if you think about light in the darkness, light demands our attention. It's where our eyes go to. Jesus didn't get much attention when he came that night. A humble birth, humble parents, a humble life. But as time has gone on, more people write about him. More and more people talk about him. More and more songs written about him. Not much attention when he came, but as the light, he demands our attention. And one day, everyone, every knee will bow before him. Then it says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness, the presence of darkness, and so many times we feel the pressure of it. We feel Maybe hopeless at times when we wake up in the morning and we, maybe we feel overcome by it. But I want you to hear this. The darkness did not comprehend. Literally that word comprehend is overcome. Darkness is not able to overcome or to conquer the light. The power of darkness is overcome by the true light, by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Through his death that he will die on a cross. Nothing can overcome it. So Jesus, the word, He is God. He is creator. He is the life, and he is the light. And no one can overcome him. And then look at the next thing that John says about the word. Speaks of Jesus' first coming. Look at verse 14. John says, The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus came to earth as a human. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us. So even though Jesus was not created yet eternal, he took on humanity. He conformed to time, to the invisible became visible. And he did not cease to be God, but became a man, taking on human nature. He became a human being, taken on human um, qualities and nature. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke tell us this, that a young teenage girl who was a virgin engaged to be married to a man by the name of Joseph, who was a carpenter, was approached by the Holy Spirit, the angel Gabriel, who told her, and we read about it in Luke, that she would conceive a child by means of the Holy Spirit, a miraculous conception where the Holy Spirit is the agent that causes Mary to be pregnant, not a man, and she was to name him Jesus. And Mary 
gives birth to Jesus in Bethlehem, product of the divine. Jesus becomes a man. So Jesus, one person, has two natures, divine and human. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. Chalcedonian Creed speaks of it like this when they're speaking of Jesus, about him, that he is to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person, one substance, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Godhead, manhood, we're at the incarnation joined together in one person, never to be divided. This is who the Word is. This is who Jesus Christ is. He's in the flesh. He dwells among us. And what does it say about him? It says here, he's begotten from the Father. What does that mean, begotten from the Father? Literally, that word begotten means that he is the unique one. He is one of a kind, sent from the Father. It also says here in verse 18, it says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Again, speaking of the word, speaking of Jesus Christ, this unique one, this one of a kind who has this closeness, this nearness, this close relationship to the Father. And so Jesus is the Son. He's the Son who enjoys the Father's dearest love. You remember at Jesus' baptism here on earth, the Father spoke from the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. And so we see this loving relationship, this closeness, this nearness, as this unique one, this one of a kind, Jesus, God in the flesh, has come to earth. And we see a couple of things here. What do we see? Look at verse 18. What does the last part of verse 18 say? It, it speaks of Jesus' purpose. As the word, as Jesus, who has come in the flesh, he has come to explain the Father, who has, God has never been seen by anyone in the flesh. And so Jesus Christ has come in the flesh to explain to us the Father. Jesus has a great purpose. He has God in the flesh to display the glory of God. And that's what John says right here as well. If you go back up to verse 14, it says, We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John and the disciples and others saw in Jesus God's character, God's qualities, coming through Jesus as he was the exact image of God, Paul tells us in Philippians 2. He was full of grace and truth. And so Jesus coming to earth was the greatest expression of the grace of God to, to humankind, to mankind. It was the best way to communicate truth accurately to human understanding. You and I cannot know grace. We cannot know truth without God revealing them through Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. And so Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, and we know he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He lived a life without sin. He died a sinner's death on a cross. He arose from the dead and is now reigning at the right hand of God the Father in the place of authority, in the place of power. He has the right to rule us 
and we have no right to resist his claim. He invaded space, he invaded time in Palestine nearly 2,000 years ago, which we remember this very weekend. So he invades our personal space. He invades our time today through the Holy Spirit and with the same purpose of love that first brought him down to earth. And so what's our response? What's our response to Jesus, the word, to God in the flesh? John's goal tells us what our response should be. His goal in writing his letter in John 20, verse 31, John says this, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who has been spoken of by the prophets, who is to come and to save. He is the one who is the great light that is to come in the deep darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome him. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing That's our response, that believing you may have life in his name. You see, the very words that we have read this morning were written to tell you and to tell I, to tell people how we could have eternal life, how we could know God personally. And according to John, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, he is the Christ of the world, is the beginning of eternal life. That's where we begin. We believe that Jesus came to save us and that he is the son of God. And that's why he came. And Jesus dwelt with man in the past. We see that. He came and he dwelt. He died. He rose again. He's now in heaven sitting the right hand of God. And so we see that God has come to be with us. But I want you to see this as we close this morning. In just a couple of moments, I, I just want us to see the hope of our destiny. Uh, here at Christmas time, that we remember, yes, Jesus has come, but we also see that this is God's ultimate goal, to dwell with man forever, forever. In the book of Revelation, he tells us this, that there will be a second coming of God in the flesh from, from heaven to earth. It tells us in Revelation chapter 21, there's a lot here, but I want you to see just the simple truth that yes, Jesus is coming again, that he is coming to dwell with man once again. That's his goal. And so we see that he has come in the past, but look at Revelation 21, verse three through four. In fact, let me just go up to verse one for us for the sake of context. It says here, again, the writer John The apostle says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And so amazing to think about this. Amazing to think about this. That this is coming. This is coming that one day God will put into motion based on his time and his will and his way. He will put into motion the return of his son. He knows the time we don't. We don't. And he will bring about 
new heavens and new earth. He will bring the holy city of Jerusalem. He will bring the new city. And then it says in verse 3 as well, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this. As John is seeing this vision of what is to come, he says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So finally, John says the relationship between God and humankind that God has always desired for people to enjoy will become a reality. God will dwell among those who are children of God, those who have believed in him, just as John says in his gospel, in his son Jesus Christ, who have followed him as disciples. They will experience this, this intimate fellowship with God. In fact, in chapter 22, look at verse 3 through 5, it elaborates a little bit more about this. It says, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus, will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the, of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever with God. We have seen this Advent season glimpses of how God has been with man through time. How he this morning has come and dwelt among us in the flesh in his son Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that his ultimate goal and plan is to dwell with his people forever. Forever. Lastly, in verse 4, this brings great benefit to us. It says in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Why is that? Because the darkness cannot overcome the light. Instead, the light overcomes the darkness forever. God's presence provides this. For the believer, of course, this will happen for them personally when they are with Jesus in heaven, but when Jesus returns and he ushers in the new heavens and earth, his compassion will end all sorrow, death, and pain once and for all, including the tears and mourning and crying that result from them. This right here is the final reversal of the curse that we see in the fall in Genesis 3. And all these former experiences that is mentioned will be gone forever. Gone forever. Why? Because the word, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh as the life and the light of man. And the light cannot be overcome by darkness. He has overcome darkness. Through his death on the cross, through his resurrection of conquering death once and for all. So that death would be swallowed up in great victory. And that is the promise to those who believe in him. That we have eternal life forever. And that one day, one day, whether it be by our death. Or whether it be Jesus coming in the clouds. Just the way he ascended. That he is going to come again. And as he comes in his second coming. We will be with him forever forever 
God with us. This morning, have you believed in Jesus? Have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to tell you this morning, there's not a better gift this season than in the gift of knowing Jesus. It's a gift that he freely gives. The Bible tells us that we can do nothing to earn it. Can't do it by good works. There's nothing within us that can overcome our sin. Only Jesus can do that. And he does it freely by his grace. And Jesus simply wants us to say yes to him this morning. To trust him, to believe, and to take that first step and say, Lord, I trust in you as the Christ, as the Son of God, and believe in you. That's where we begin. And so this morning, have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus? He is the Word. He is God. He is the hope of all mankind. He is the hope and the only hope of your life. And I pray this morning that you believe that. Let's pray.